The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 179 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is help for caregivers on the edge. And in this episode, the family caregivers we're talking about are wives whose husbands are dying from a condition that lasts for months or years. And when a husband is dying from a condition that lasts for months or years, the life of the wife changes hugely because of the challenges that surround her and that threaten to engulf her. The changes are endless, complex, and harmful physically, psychologically, and often financially. The challenges create needs for help for wives, and sometimes urgently. But then the question is, what help is available for wives confronted by these challenges, and how do they know where to go for help that is truly helpful? Because without help that is truly helpful, hope may be lost. When hope is lost, crisis occurs. And when crisis occurs, the wife may be pushed to the edge, which is why our topic today, Help for Caregivers on the Edge, is so important. Uh, To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Diana Denholm. She's been a board certified psychotherapist for more than 30 years. For over 11 years, she was the primary caregiver to her husband during a series of grave illnesses. She now provides guidance, support, and resources in her critically acclaimed book, The Caregiving Wife's Handbook, Caring for Your Seriously Ill Husband, Caring for Yourself. She's a professional speaker and writes articles for Psychology Today, PBS, Stroke Network, and various other publications and magazines. She's been featured in the New York Times, AIRP Magazine, Kiplinger Letter, Consumer Reports, and the Washington Post. So, Diana, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and I must compliment you on having a wonderful program and providing this vital information for caregivers, because caregiving damages and destroys people and relationships, but rather than suffering this irreparable damage and regret, you all out there can learn tools to get through your challenges emotionally whole and with compassion for yourself and each other. And I'd like to expand a little bit on on what you said in, in terms of 
who is involved in this because this, this is beyond just wives caring for husbands. This is husbands caring for wives and for uh, children caring for their parents. All of these people are impacted by caregiving, and they all need this help. So I'm talking to every one of you out there because you may not be a caregiver now, but someday you likely will be. And right now you probably know a caregiver you care about, and this information will be life-changing for them. Right. Now, Diana, I want to just ask you, please, to tell us more about your professional background and about your experience of family caregiving. Diana? Well, a little bit about my background is that I do have a Ph.D. in psychology and uh, was a board-certified medical psychotherapist for many years. So I did have a focus on uh, working with uh, people with the medical problems, whether it was the patient or whether it was the family working with them. Uh, but I'd actually like to go back to when I was two years old because that's when this all began for me, when my father had a heart attack, which he survived, but he had many medical problems, including cancer that went to his brain and killed him many years later. Now, all of this time, I watched my mother go through this, and I saw her shut down, and I can still see it, the drama and the trauma, off and on for 40 years. Now, this is important for those of you who know caregivers and are not yet one yourself. I could only see it through my eyes, not hers, and I had no idea what she could possibly be going through because here she is caring for the person she's in love with and losing him at the same time. Well, how do you do that? Well, I finally got it. I finally saw it through her eyes because it happened to me. My love was diagnosed with colon cancer with very little chance of survival, and that was just about a month after he asked me to marry him. And he got through it, but a year after that, a year he wasn't even supposed to survive, he developed congestive heart failure. So from then on, I spent every single night listening to his heartbeat and wondering if he'd make it through to the next day. And without realizing it, I became my mother. Same pain, same challenges. So next we moved to California and he got a heart transplant. Uh, and that was really just the start of next disasters because after the transplant, his body began to fail him. And he had a laundry list of ailments uh, from skin cancer, depression, sleep disorders, Parkinson's, kidney failure. And he ended up on dialysis. And I can't even remember how many ambulance rides and emergency room visits there were from heart failure, falls, bleed out, just all sorts of traumas. And somewhere along the way, he decided he'd had enough. It took him about six months to do it, but he decided to go off dialysis. And he went off dialysis knowing he would die in five to ten days. Well, with all of my experience, all of my experience was many years as a medical psychotherapist, I was never, never prepared for anything like this experience. And the worst part of this was that I had to blaze my own trail through those 11 and a half years because there was nowhere to turn for answers. And because of that, I decided to do everything I could not to let anybody else go through anything like this because there just was no place to find the roadmap to get through this, keeping any sense of sem uh, sanity or any semblance of self. And what about right. survival? You know, a lot of caregivers become sick themselves. Some commit suicide, others become objects of abuse, and some become abusers themselves. These are the people who are on the edge. But this does not have to happen. The Caregiving Wife's Handbook is a wellspring of hope for the marriage, the family, the relationships, 
the life of the caregiver. It's about making life work while your loved one's health is falling apart. Right. Please tell us more about the book and also explain to us deeper down why you wrote it. Well, uh, basically, it's a how-to book, and I'm a very practical person, and I realized that rather than doing a memoir, which many people uh, like to do, you know, about all of their difficult experiences, to me it seemed much more valuable to have uh, this very simple tool. These are the steps that you take. So it's it's a very uh, simple book. It's a very short book, actually. And, you know, you will learn how to go through specific steps so that you can have hope and make changes because you have options and choices when you know what they are. Now, I'm going to move to um, the title of this episode. Diana, please tell us what being on the edge really means for wives and other family caregivers, for that matter. Yes, wives, <laughs> husbands, children. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let me tell you a little story here. Uh, you probably know a couple like this, or maybe this sounds like you, uh, you meaning you in the audience, not just you, doctor. Um, Marcia fell in love with Stan the moment she laid eyes on him. They were both widowed and in their 40s when they met. She had three children, he had two, and they merged their families into a happy one. And they're in their 70s now, and, you know, they've seemed to have had a good life, but now Stan is struggling with cancer. Oh, and I did want to make a point also uh, from the beginning. You indicated that the the book uh, really was for people who had someone where they were dying of, of an illness, and, and that is true. Uh, also would be people who have had uh, a, an, an accident, you know, and they are paralyzed, or a person who's had a stroke. They don't necessarily have to be dying, and all of these tools will apply to them. Right. I was just going to say, glad you cleared that up. That's very important. Please yes. carry on. Yes. Uh, so for Marsha, uh, Stan's health is, is a, the biggest project of her life. So she picks his doctors and treatment plans and oversees everything about him. She sets up the house so it's comfortable for him so he can stay there until he passes. She selects his food, clothing, exercise plans, and social activities, pretty much everything. And that works wonderfully when just the two of them are home. But children, relatives, and friends do come to visit. When they visit, they ask incessant questions and second-guess everything she does. And you caregivers out there know exactly what I mean. You know, why are you doing it this way? Why don't you try that? Are you sure this is the best medicine for him? You know, why don't you see Dr. So-and-so? That's who my friend went to. That person is supposed to be the best. So remember thinking, you know, who do these people think they are? They aren't living this. They just come and go, and they think they know what it's really like. Why are they asking all these stupid questions and butting in? Don't they think I have a brain? Some days I just want to throw the food at them or just throw them out of the house. Well, as a caregiver, a man named Paul Gilkey could relate to that. He lived in a small town in Ohio and was the primary caregiver for his wife, Darlene. She was dying of cancer. And one day his two sisters-in-law and his son came to visit. At lunchtime, as he did most days, he peeled an orange for her. Well, the sisters-in-law stepped in and decided she should have tea and toast. Well, of course, this was just one of many times they butted in with their ideas. But that day, three hours after a big fight started, Paul shot the two ladies and his son and killed them. 
And, of course, this is a tragic case. And Paul, you know, certainly had some other problems. But look at what a very small incident pushed this caregiver over the edge, whether it was an orange or tea and toast for lunch. We have caregivers on the edge, but there's something that can be done about it. Uh, Marsha's sister came and started giving her information that's in the Caregiving Wife's Handbook, which you also can learn that you will gain insights that will allow you to anticipate, to understand, and prevent these situations, the ones that cause the greatest stress and that stop you, and this is really important, the ones that stop you from having satisfying and fulfilling relationships with your loved ones. Because somebody else's need does not translate to being your husband's or your need. But we know that family members and intrusions for them are to be expected. But you can learn what to do and say when others express their opinion, and you don't have to change their mind. She learned it wasn't necessary to make somebody wrong for her to be right. She learned to use a step-by-step communication so she and Stan would make decisions about family visits, who is in charge of what in his care, and any issues that could cause a problem from the outside so that they could be prevented. Because many caregivers are on the edge, and it's not going to take much for them to snap. But there is hope because you have options and choices, and you can do something very different, and you can prevent these problems. These um, instances that you've so clearly expressed of what being on the edge really means, these are in the book, are they, these particular ones? Uh, this particular one is not. Okay. There, there are many instances in the book, but the Paul Gilkey incident happened uh, after the book was written. And we even have, this year, I, I wrote an, an article for, for Psychology Today, and it, it's about caregivers who have uh, become killers. This year, just a few days into, into January, we have a woman who uh, beat her sick husband. Now, you know, we won't get into whether or not he deserved it, but she was on the edge, and she went over the edge, and she beat him. Now, I'm going to take a break here because, as we all know, we have to pay the rent in this business, so we'll do the break now. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atley. My guest is Dr. Diana Denholm. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Pearl River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? 
Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome back to listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Diana Denholm. Our topic is help for caregivers on the edge. Diana, now let's talk about challenges for wives who are family caregivers caring for partners diagnosed with these serious long-term illnesses and accidents and disabilities that you mentioned, which require many, many years of caregiving. So let's, first of all, please, Diana, talk about the challenges for the wives in getting mentoring information and support. And this would be wives and husbands and children uh, to be able to get the, the mentoring and the support to help them with their caregiving uh, because it's a universal issue. It, it's not simply a woman's issue. It, it's everybody's issue. And there's one organization, I, I believe it's moved into Canada now, uh, and it's called the Well Spouse Association, and it's the only peer-to-peer, non-disease-specific support group that's out there. And their motto is, when one is sick, two need help. And they have programs, they have respite, they have conferences and conventions uh, where they give, uh, you know, the support, the knowledge, the information that caregivers need to have. Uh, and if you go to my website at caregivingwife.com, there are, there are links to that association so you can get more information. But caregiving is a lot like playing pin the tail on the donkey. Uh, you're blindfolded and you're spun around. You, you don't know where you are. You might stumble and fall. You don't know what you're to do. And you do everything in your power to hold on to that tail that you're going to be pinning, the one with the dangerous pin sticking out of it, and you wish this would just hurry up and be over, but if you're lucky, there's someone there to hold your hand so you'll feel better and safer with their reassurance, guidance, and direction. Well, Kathy, Fran, Jean, Susan, Mary, and Tina, and I share our stories with you in the Caregiving Wives Handbook so that you can experience this mentoring yourself, the what you need to know, how to put it into practice so that we'll keep you focused and on target, managing your responsibilities, and at the same time, keeping your sanity and maintaining a love that most wouldn't know how to hold on to. And permission for self-care is the hardest step for caregivers. So, and these wives were no exception. Like other caregivers, they couldn't or wouldn't do it for themselves, but they would 
to better care for their husbands. So they each devised ways that worked given their finances and freedom. And some of them were even a little unorthodox. So let, let's look at one. And this is, this is uh, mentoring that they learned and that they're passing along. To utilize respite. Tina's husband suffers from dementia, and she finds it, you know, hard to deal with it all year long, but she does give him very loving care. And for years and years and years, she used to visit her family in Argentina for a month, and now she tells her friends and family, and a lot of you are going to gasp a little bit at this one, she says, if Tom dies while I'm away, don't call me. Just put him on ice, and I'll take care of it when I get home. And she's serious, but in order to protect her own health, she's willing to risk criticism from everybody. So do simple things. Kathy doesn't have much money or a car, so she takes relaxing walks in her neighborhood. She takes these little inner vacations where she chants or meditates and reads and does things while her husband sleeps. So she escapes into herself in healthy ways. She doesn't care if the house isn't perfect for visitors. And if they think it's not clean enough, they can clean it. And when her children and grandchildren descend on the house expecting to be entertained and fed, if they don't bring and prepare their own food, they don't get to eat. So you also learn to use what's in your neighborhood. Susan, whose husband Sam is dying of cancer, likes shop therapy. And it isn't that you have to go out and spend a lot of money, but you get out into a different environment. You know, some shopping malls can be very beautiful, so it's a nice respite. Uh, churches, besides the religious element of it, they uh, provide a beautiful environment for you to have a respite. And stay socially involved. This is how Mary takes care of herself while Mark is dying of Parkinson's. He's able to take care of himself for long enough for her to lunch with friends, which she does despite criticism from people. Because if she doesn't attend to her social life now, she won't have one after he dies. Diana, I'm just going to interrupt you there because that takes us into the next thing that I want to ask you, and it does so perfectly. Talk to us, please, about challenges to all of these family caregivers brought by burnout, stress, and guilt. Okay, well, all, and, and this lady was dealing with all of those. She certainly had the guilt. Uh, so we have Kathy and Craig, and I was mentioning Kathy before, and money's tight, so she still has to work, and she's in good health. Craig has limitations from Parkinson's. He's a very big athletic he-man kind of guy, and with a booming voice, which he directs at Kathy. But his usual moodiness and meanness got worse when he got sick. Well, Kathy's angry because his friends offer to help him, and he turns them down. Instead, he expects her to wait on him hand and foot while he screams at her. He expects her to be a servant and be the sole moneymaker for the family. To make matters worse, when she's off working long, hard hours, he manages to go to the baseball field with his buddies. So as many of you find, and this is one of your challenges, you're trying your best, but it isn't appreciated, and your loved one just makes it worse. Well, her stress and her anger spill into everything she does. It causes problems at work, and it affects her care for Craig. So in their house, stony silence is only broken when they yell at each other. She delays giving him meals and sometimes cooks what she knows he hates. And she throws plates at him when he complains about the food. And sometimes she wishes he would move out, which he's threatened to do. And sometimes she wishes he'd worry that he'd just hurry up and die. 
And that's not an uncommon thought for caregivers to have, to think that they would like to have their loved one just die so they can be past it all. And this is one of their challenges of dealing with that guilt. But most of all, she wonders what became of the sweet lady she used to be. She doesn't like who she's become, and it frightened her. But she learned that she has options and choices, and she learned to understand her strong emotions. Because Kathy's feelings are common for caregivers. Sometimes you feel guilty because you have bad thoughts, and sometimes you feel guilty because you have happy thoughts. You have an inner dialogue, a conversation in your head with yourself, and that helps you survive because it lets you blow off some steam and it keeps you from screaming these things out loud or worse, acting on them because emotions are neither good nor bad. They just are. But too much pent-up anger or too many disturbing thoughts create negative outcomes and they steal your energy. So among many healthy ways to release your anger that you learn in the handbook, you may simply write down for your eyes only all the things you really would like to say but won't. And that gets it out of your system. Uh, One of the things you learn in the handbook is a sorting process for things you really want to say that, you know, are not going to make a difference, and then you move through to the things that you are going to discuss with your loved ones. And let's, let's take hygiene as a little issue here. I'm just going to stop you there just to say I would very much like you to go into the challenges associated with matters of intimacy, uncertainty about difficult things and things that should be discussed and things that people feel deeply about. Yes. So please segue into that. Okay. Well, well, one of them is hygiene. And the, the, the method for sorting these questions is, is applicable to any topic that you and I are going to discuss. Uh, but let, let's apply it here. She might be thinking, and husbands might think this of their wives, children might think this of their parents. It's not, you know, uh, separate for one group. They might be thinking, you know, he or she is just so dirty and smelly, and, you know, I just can't stand to be around them. Well, this isn't something you're going to say directly to the person. However, that does not mean that hygiene is not an issue that can be raised. So it's going to be using a a very set process that you learn in the handbook of creating the right environment, which you learn how to do, and be saying, you know, honey, I'd I'd like to sit down and talk a little bit about hygiene and, and see if there are ways that we can make things easier for you. So it's the same topic, but it's a different approach, and, and that's very important. But most people, you know, ask me about maintaining intimacy. Uh, but for most people, for most caregivers, it's really an issue of reclaiming it because it's usually long gone. So one of the important things that you'll discover is how to reclaim these love relationships that you thought were gone. And you will learn to communicate. So let's, whether this person uh, that you're with wants to have sex and you don't, or if you want to and they don't, they're practical strategies for resolving the issues because what we're after here is making your marriage more compassionate, peaceful, and loving, even if your spouse doesn't have the same opinions as you. So we have Stan, Susan and Sam who used to have some very romantic picnics, and they had you know wonderful love life. But he has terminal cancer, and he's also very depressed, and he doesn't want to get out of bed and doesn't want to get clean. And what they came up with was a conversation and agreement 
to try something different. It, it used to be that they would read a book and they would share uh, a conversation about it. And that was a form of intimacy with them. So what they did is to start with something simple. Rather than just going right to, you know, we need to have more sex, it, they started with, you know, setting up a time to sit and talk about a book. And what that did was to pave the way to bring intimacy and romance back into their marriage. What they did next was to, uh, Susan would set a nice table, invite Sam to come to have dinner with her, you know, all candlelight and all pretty and everything. And if he came, it was wonderful. That was another step toward reclaiming intimacy. If he did not come to the table, she didn't yell at him the way she used to. Because if she yelled at him, what that was going to do was just, you know, put them back at the beginning and they were not going to develop the intimacy. So they took it in little steps. And now we have Frank and Fran with a slightly different situation. Um, you know, uh, Frank has tubes coming out of him. He's smelly. Um, you know, she doesn't even want to think about having sex with him because, you know, she spoon feeds him. She has to clean him after he goes to the bathroom. You know, it's all just pretty unpleasant for her. But Sam, I'm sorry, not Sam, Frank is very insistent that he still wants sex. You know, perhaps for him, uh, it indicates that he's still alive, that he's still a man. But it's so distasteful for her. So what they did was they sat down and had one of the discussions following the six steps that you learn in the handbook, and they came up with an agreement. And the agreement was that they would uh, have sex once a week, but other than that, it would not be discussed because it was such a painful topic. Now, whatever you agree within your own household is fine. You know, this, this is a private matter. The point is that you will communicate. You will come up with agreements with each other so you will all, you'll all know what the expectations are and what's going to be happening, and it will reclaim not just the intimacy in your home, but it's going to bring peace to your home where there used to be animosity. Now, I'm going to stop you at that point because, first of all, it's a beautiful point, and secondly, because once again we have the tyranny of time and we have to take our break. Uh -huh. So, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Diana Denholm. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. So please stay with us. We will be back. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. 
Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Diana Denholm. Our topic is Help for Caregivers on the Edge. Now, let's talk about hope for people, family caregivers, caring for family members diagnosed with, you know, the prospect of many years of caregiving. First question, Diana, please. How does discussion generate hope for for the caregivers? And what are the themes that are especially helpful in generating hope? The discussion will create the hope because this is where you develop for yourself your options and your possibilities. Uh, Without doing that, you're going to do the same thing that you had been doing before, which doesn't work. And there are a variety of themes that are very common in in the families. And these themes don't necessarily uh, generate the hope. In fact, they tend to generate the stress. But you can work with them in a different way so that you will now have hope connected to those. So let's look at a couple, you know, who's married. The husband uh, has emphysema, and he still insists on his right to smoke, and, you know, she's pretty upset with that. And she has many of these common caregiver issues, so let's look at them. Her main concerns, and these are the themes that are very, very common for most caregivers, uh, they're about the money, about intimacy, cleanliness, a lack of concern for her, and being treated like a servant, and the list goes on. And In fact, in the handbook, there's a 24-question planning guide to help prompt you to come up with what your concerns are so that you then are able to discuss them and come up with um, agreements and new behaviors. So she's worried about finances and legal issues. She's afraid that she doesn't have the skills or physical strength to handle caregiving. She had terrible thoughts and emotions and didn't know what to do with them. Communicating with Frank was a real challenge. She wasn't sure how to get or accept help or how to get Frank to agree to it. And she never shared what was, he never shared what was going on in his head, and that scared her. You know, what would she do about the duties he used to take on? She certainly didn't have the energy to do them, nor did she know how. She wondered how she could still have a life if she's taking care of him and whether caring for him will be the end of her. So she started a new process that put her on a path to solutions she never dreamed possible. She prepared for the discussions, 
and she created agreements and understanding with her husband. This is not a one-sided event. So, you know, she started thinking about these questions that I mentioned, and here are just a few of them, is what I think normal. You know, I don't know what to do when people try to tell me the way I should take care of Frank. What do I do when everybody wants to help, but he won't let them? How do I ask him about his final wishes? Do I really have to do all these nursing duties? How can I still have a life? What do I do when he won't discuss what I need to talk about? And it goes on and on and on. And let me jump to the one on the nursing duties uh, to let people know that you do have options and choices. You will have a discussion with your loved one. And again, all the, the, the very simple steps are in the Caregiving Wife's Handbook. Uh, on how to have this discussion. And within that, you will learn from the ill person what their expectations are. Now, that doesn't mean you have to accept those expectations. In your discussion, you will then determine the things that you are willing and able to do. And then you will find other ways to handle the things that you won't. So just because you have the discussion doesn't mean you're going to end up taking on all the duties. But the discussion is an important thing so that you can together create the expectations and come up with agreements because this is not an adversarial process. And too often in caregiving, that's what it becomes. What this is all about is collaboration. You're going to collaborate with your loved, ill person to come up with the best resolutions for everyone. Right. Now, you've been telling us stories of individual caregivers, family caregivers, and how they've approached the various things, the various challenges. So I want to ask you a more general question. How do the stories of individual caregivers help generate hope for other caregivers? The stories apply the concepts. Um, too often we just hear the concepts, well, you do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z, and we never have it applied. And what you have in the handbook and the things that I'm sharing with you today are those concepts applied, which make it more livable for you. And let me talk about one important one, uh, and it's the topic of enabling. Enabling is also called codependence, and it's a term that comes from addictions, and used here, it's doing for others what they should be doing for themselves, usurping their responsibilities and diminishing them in the process. And this is what is very common for couples to do. Uh, Ed and Betsy, for example. Um, Betsy had a very active life. Ed became very ill, and even though he still was able to do a lot of things, now it's just Betsy doing everything and taking care of his needs. But the important point here is that he is able to do most everything himself and doesn't need much help. It's just that Betsy knows a good wife doesn't let a sick husband do things himself. She plunged herself into his care because, you know, his life's at stake. So her life is buried in to-do lists for him. She doesn't do any of her activities because she doesn't have the time. She doesn't have the energy. She won't accept help from anybody, paid or otherwise. As you know, many of you out there, you think it takes too much time to explain what these people should do, and they're not going to do it right anyway. And she's beyond exhausted. But here's a really important thing that you learn from this person's specific story, and it's a very common story. 
she's harming Ed. With the best of intentions, her enabling turns Ed into a physical as well as an emotional invalid. If you do everything for your loved one, you take away any chance they have to feel like a man or a woman or like an adult and to feel proud of themselves to stay physically fit. You invalidate the person, you turn them into an invalid. You stop being their spouse and you become their parent and not a very nice one. But you will learn, this is where the hope comes in, that you have options and choices and you can stop taking on all these, this unnecessary responsibility and control and what will happen when you do. Your workload will decrease, your anger and stress will subside, you'll have fewer arguments, yet more effective communication, you'll have more time for yourself, your home will become more peaceful, you'll actually help your loved one feel stronger and more independent and capable, and most importantly, rather than resenting your loved one, you'll reclaim the loving feelings you had toward them and become their partner again. So you may enjoy whatever time you have left. So hearing or reading stories of individuals who've traveled that path uh, is a way of generating hope. The kind of hope that says, well, if they did it, maybe we can do it. Maybe I can do it. Yeah. Is that right? It, yes. And, and it's not just knowing that they did that, but the specific things that they did to accomplish it. Got it. Yeah, got it. Now, I want to go back to your book um, okay. because you have messages of hope in your book. What are those message, messages of hope chiefly that you, you give to family caregivers generally and not just wives in your book? Mm-hmm. Well, some of, some of it is a very simple section, the 50 do's and don'ts. And what that does is kind of put you into uh, knowing a little bit of what your rights are. Uh, so let me just grab a couple at random here. Uh, don't feel guilty that you still have a life and can still have fun. Life may not always seem fair, but that doesn't mean life is wrong. Don't let your husband, of course this is in the book, so it's the husband, or anyone take advantage of you or to be abusive to you in any way. Illness is never an excuse for brutality, whether verbal or physical. And very many family caregivers are experiencing that verbal and physical abuse. And there is hope when you realize that's not right. You don't have to, to experience that. Don't be embarrassed about your loved one's illness. It has nothing to do with your character or how good a wife or husband or child you are. Do speak up for yourself using these communication tools and take a hard line on safety issues. Although you have no control over many things, you still do over some aspects. Recognize that this other person is the one who's dying, not you. If the situation were reversed, what would your loved one be doing? Do know that this is his journey and your journey are not one and the same. You've got different things for which to prepare, so don't get lost on their path. So there are 50 of these that kind of give you a reality check. And in that reality check, um, you know, you, you have a different kind of hope. But the skills and the communication tools give you the most hope because this is where you realize you have the options and choices to do something different, and you actually specifically learn what those options and choices are. 
And is it right to say that the feeling that you do have an option is itself hopeful? Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I speak with, with many people on a very personal level, and uh, so many of them have just given up and given in. You know, well, this is what I've been dealing with for so many years, and, you know, and this is what way it's going to be. I, I can't change anything. So they've given up hope. And some of that lack of hope is, is the lack of skill. And let me take a simple example. If you have uh, something in your house that, that needs fixing and you don't know how to fix it, so you, you've given up hope and you, you just let it sit there broken, but someone comes along and they tell you, okay, you can use this tool and you can apply it in this way and now you can fix that gizmo, whatever it was. That gives you hope. It gives you options and choices that you can have something be done in a different way. And I guess it also gives you the confidence that you can cope, you can do these things, and therefore if something else comes along, you feel that you've got a chance of coping with that one too. And Absolutely. that's hopeful. Yeah, Lear yep. learning builds on learning. Yeah. Now, I'm going to take the break now because that's another point of st strong point that I think we should, we should leave. Um, because in the next segment, we're going to go into ways of pushing forward with the help. So I'm going to take the break at this moment. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Diana Denholm. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Diana Denholm. Our topic is Help for Caregivers on the Edge. Now, let's talk about help for particularly for um, caregivers whose family member, husband or wife, not only has a, been diagnosed with a serious long-term illness requiring many years of caregiving, but who also may want to not just live, but also die at home. Um, Diana, what more do you want us to, to do and see done 
to provide help for the uh, partner, for the wife, for the husband in those kinds of situations. And, and that's a very common situation. People are going to, to you know, hit that wall uh, if they've never talked about that. And, again, these same communication tools are, are what will be applied because you, d- you don't want to miss opportunities that you can never go back and recapture. It's about having the right conversation at the right time. So let's, let's think back on the, the O. Henry short story, The Gift of the Magi. It's about the couple who had very little money and wanted to get Christmas presents for each other. Della's long flowing hair was her pride and joy. Jim's cold, gold pocket watch was his. Della cut her hair and sold it to buy a watch fob for Jim. Jim sold his gold watch to buy beautiful combs for Della. Well, it's an enchanting love story, but it's a great example of how a lack of communication can lead to disastrous results. And it reminds me of Kathy Craig and Craig, one of the couples that you meet in the Caregiving Wives Handbook. It was obvious that Craig's death was coming very soon, but Kathy and Craig never even discussed the possibility of his death or anything related to it. She thought at one point he knew it would happen, but he just never discussed it with her. Well, not having effective communication tools, she didn't know if she should bring it up, let alone how or when. Well, instead, she said nothing. She knew how much he wanted to beat the cancer, and she thought if she even started to talk about it, he'd think she'd believe he wasn't going to make it. So Craig never mentioned it to her because he probably didn't want to upset her either. What was a loving gesture like Jim and Della's, except that it left Kathy with no knowledge of finances, no information about legal matters, no plans for a funeral, and with a great deal of stress, enough that she actually had a heart attack shortly after Craig died. And more than six years after his death, she said, you know, I wish we'd talked about these things, many things, but it's too late now. Well, you know, Maria learned about that story, but and she discovered that there is a way to raise any topic using these skills. So she began by writing down all of her worries and concerns and her issues about her husband for her eyes only. And then she began to uh, make a date with him and to start coming up with agreements on the end-of-his-life issues. She determined time and place and gently led him into having the conversation because you can have this. If if you don't have it, it's a missed opportunity, and you can never go back. You know, your husband or, or wife or whoever it is, you know, may not want to pass it home, or they may want to pass it home. And you have this, you know, this little protective thing going on, well, I can't mention it to her, or he can't mention it to me. And, you know, then all of a sudden the person's dying, and, and you know, you're, you're sitting with it. Yep. Now, I want to switch. It's the same question, what more you would like to see done. But this time, I want to ask you about the healthcare professions. You and I both have that background in common. What should the kind of professions we come from do to help family caregivers in the kind of situations we're talking about? I I think that the the health professions should have more information available in their offices so that when the person is in a waiting room, they're they're going to uh, have access to that. And I think that you know, very often, you know, the spouse is going to be in on one or more appointments, and there should almost be uh, a little uh, checklist that the that the health provider can go down in terms of, you know, how is the caregiver? 
How are they reacting? How is their stress level? Did they look different from what they did when they came in, you know, two months ago? Is the wife now, you know, she's lost weight, she's gotten thin, and, you know, the husband's just trotting along with, with his medical condition that he has, but we see the wife withering away in front of us, and no one's noticing it. So if, if part of the protocol for the healthcare professionals would be to also focus on the spouse, the caregiver, whether it's a child, husband, wife, uh, that's going to be a big help. And then to also be able to provide the information that they need. Does that come back also to the caregivers, the family caregivers, to actually go and ask the, the healthcare professionals how how what they think of the family caregivers health what 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 do they see our needs to be is that something you would support yes it would be very helpful if the caregivers could do that most caregivers won't do it because they think it's selfish you know i'm not dying my poor husband or my poor wife is here and they're dying you know how dare i focus any attention on myself so they think it's wrong they feel guilty about it oh no don't worry about me you know he's the one who's got the big condition so they they need to know that it's okay to focus attention on themselves and so while we would like them to ask the doctor, gee, you know, what should I be doing to care for myself as a caregiver, it likely isn't going to come from them. So I see this as something that the medical uh, profession needs to be, um, you know, more, uh, more of an activist in. Now, this is the last question, but it's in many ways a big one. I want to know what your message, you personally, your message is for family caregivers, and I'd like you to address all family caregivers, but also wives in the situations we're talking about. So what's your message, Diana? Well, the common denominator here would be the words choice and the word options, because when you become aware of the word choice and the word option, they become the most powerful tools on your way to recognize the path to reconnecting with your loved one. We, you know, we want to be good caregivers. We want our loved ones to be well. But what the really important part here is, is to reconnect with your loved one, that your relationship is not over. There is hope for reclaiming that relationship and keeping that relationship uh, wonderful. It may, it may look different, but keeping it wonderful and sound up to the very last moments. So these are ways, these are techniques to be applied in these very difficult situations. And these techniques, I don't know whether that's the word you would use, but let me just use it for the moment, are the techniques that you're spelling out in your book and you're addressing them to caregivers, all kinds of caregivers, in these situations where at some moment, maybe too many moments, there appears to be no hope. Do you agree with me on that? Yes, yes. And there may be many moments where there appears to be uh, no hope. And these same very simple communication tools, uh, establishing the expectations and coming up with agreements can be done time after time after time on many different issues because the, uh, the cycle of the ill person's health 
uh, or if we have a person who's been in an accident, you're going to find things come in waves. There will be good times, and then things will decline, and they might get better again. So every time there is a decline, there's going to be another need for the communication so that, once again, you can create some hope, create options and choices so that your relationship can still be sound. You've talked about reclaiming relationships, and what that says very strongly is they had a relationship before which mattered to them both very much, or mattered them to whatever way the relationship was between parents and children and between children and parents. It mattered to them. And I'm getting a message from you that says reclaiming the relationship is a matter of adapting to the challenges that there are around, understanding them, but not abandoning the hope of reclaiming a relationship which works and works to the very end and brings hope, brings relief from guilt, and also brings a measure of, shall, shall I dare to use the word happiness? What do you think? Yes, yes. And, and it's more than just adapting, though. Uh, it is learning some new tools so that you can create this uh, more love, loving and lovely way of living. And I want to share one quote that's in the book. It's from an Indian saint. It's, before you speak, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Does it improve on the silence? And if you apply that, to your conversations and the sharing that you have with your loved one, things are going to be very different. And that's got to be a good formula for reclaiming a relationship and building the hope and the happiness um, at the end of life, at the end of, towards the end of uh, the relationship in such a way that um, it becomes natural, it becomes dignified and it becomes caring. Uh, and that's something that I think we can all relate to. Um, it's not always easy, and the circumstances are often difficult, but with the kind of advice and the kind of communications and the kind of steps you've been talking about, Diana, um, what you've, I think, conveyed very clearly is that there is hope, and there is such a thing as reclaiming the goodness in our lives, even though the outlook in the way that physicians would describe it is less than encouraging. So I want to thank you for saying all that to us. Um, I want to congratulate you on, if I may say so in this way, making it so understandable, but at the same time so practical and so useful and so trustworthy. So I, what I would say to you is carry on this good work you're doing and all success to you with it. Well, thank you, and continue to carry on the wonderful sharing that you're doing. Thank you very much. Now, I want to quickly say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about voice for family caregivers in the mental health system. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.